0: you're tuned in to the benefit broadcast the conceal or reveal edition a six-part series spotlighting a collective of inspirational brow raisers we'll be opening up the conversation to reveal perspectives on topics that many choose to conceal and embracing self-expression acceptance and celebration whatever that sounds like I'm Jess Jones, body
1: confidence activist, author of Own It and Mum of Four, and I'm joined by the wonderful Sophie Beresina. Hi, I'm Sophie. I'm a journalist and writer of the book and column, The Mother Project, which charted my alternative route to parenthood via surrogacy.
0: We'll be unpacking the many different experiences and journeys people have with parenthood and how we can have more open conversations around fertility and maternal health, both mental and physical.
1: So let's get into it. First, we're going to throw it right back to talk about our earliest experiences with motherhood. For me, it was obviously meeting my daughter for the first time. It had kind of slightly different connotations because I didn't carry her. She was a surrogate baby. So I suppose, like, that must be very different from you meeting your first child. But I built up this, how am I going to feel when I see this baby for the first time that I didn't even know from the inside. But I remember a whole mix of emotions. It was so weird, but mostly, like, I was really nervous and I was so overwhelmed. And I was like, do I love her? I don't, how am I supposed to know yet? And oh my God, a baby's supposed to look like that because I'd never seen one before. It was like a dream, but a really amazing dream. Yeah. Do you remember what your first was like?
0: Yeah, I think really similar. You don't know what to expect, do you? Also my first looked a bit like an alien, which I was like, when you see them on in the movies, they're like these perfectly rosy plump babies. And I was like, why does she look like that? I have told her that as well, so it's fine. I can say it publicly. But I think one of the things I remember, I had a C-section as well and I remember lying there. And them handing her to me, and I'm going to my husband, I'm not crying, I should be crying. And I was like, squeeze in my eyes. And he was like, What are you doing? I was like, I'm trying to cry because I should cry, right? Like that's what you do yeah, yeah. in this moment, because that's what I've seen. And it wasn't because I wasn't happy, but I think, like, yeah, you know, I was so overwhelmed and I didn't know what to expect. And I was like, Do I love her? Is this is this what happens in this moment? Yeah, yeah. But yeah, it was both magical and scary and exciting. And just overwhelming all at once so were you at marley's birth what, what was yeah, that like yeah.
1: i think like what you said about feeling like you should cry i really felt the pressure of that because there were so many people in the room so we had the surrogate her husband my husband me all the midwives that this ho- the hospital could spare and i was really self-conscious that everyone was looking at me and waiting for my response so it was really strange to be conscious of that in that moment yeah i've said before it sort of felt a bit like the end of a house party when you're like you just can't stop talking like having a really good time with these people in the room and it just felt really lovely and wonderful and actually I've never been at a birth before and I've always been slightly I've had a bit of a fear about childbirth and like how do women do that I mean you've done it four times but our surrogate Rebecca, she made it look easy, which is probably a terrible thing to say. <laughs> she had an epidural and she was really conscious that she wanted to have an epidural so that I wouldn't see her in too much pain and feel yeah. guilty because there's, there's so many things that you've got to think about in this strange scenario. She's had two children before, but she was a bit of an expert and it was just all round a genuinely lovely experience. I feel really lucky that I got to be a part of it. So you've had four pregnancies. Yep. Thinking about your first, are there any kind of misconceptions?
0: Yeah, so when I was pregnant my first, I was actually diagnosed with something called tocophobia, which is an irrational fear of childbirth. Oh. So I really struggled when I was pregnant because I realised the baby had to come out. <laughs> which you kind of think people would know at the beginning. But I really struggled with it. So I wasn't sure, I guess I couldn't really get excited about it because I had this looming fear. So I was scheduled for a C-section and once I had her I was absolutely fine. And I guess actually then being pregnant after that, I had all these expectations that my pregnancies would all be exactly the same and they absolutely were not. But I think I just thought it'd be really easy and I'd be glowing and no, (laughs) like just not. She was born in August as well, so it was really hot. I mean, really lady, like I had my legs wide open with a fan lying on the sofa, but I thought all my pregnancies would be the same and they they just weren't. So did you have
1: her on the sofa? No.
0: (laughs) Absolutely not. Okay. And at the hospital. I had a C-section. I've had four C-sections right. as well. So I've only experienced labour once in all four pregnancies. And I think a lot of what we expect comes from TV or movies. We just have this idea, don't we, yeah. of what it's going to be like. And it's not always like that. But I also think people don't talk about the messy side or the uncomfortable sides of pregnancy or yeah. the side effects of pregnancy that maybe make you uncomfortable or aren't so ladylike to talk yeah. about. And I find that really hard because... I didn't want to then admit that maybe sometimes I wasn't enjoying it because I think everyone expects you to. So like, oh, you look great, you're glowing, how lovely. And you're like, oh, I do not feel good right now. But you didn't almost want to say that yeah. to anyone, which I found quite difficult.
1: Yeah, that's really interesting because a lot of people have said to me, you're really lucky that you didn't have to experience pregnancy and childbirth. And whilst that's quite a difficult thing to hear when you have infertility and you really wanted to experience it, I can totally appreciate that fear of the experience and I always wondered how people get their head around being pregnant and then carrying this growing bump around with you and then understanding that you're going to have to give birth at some point it does seem quite terrifying and it's something that people just don't talk about so yeah I mean I definitely felt an element of relief that I didn't have to do that in the end like if there's going to be one perk to (laughs) cancer-induced infertility it has to be that but I'll always be sad that I didn't get to experience it but at the same time it's not something that now I'm really yearning for or think that I have to do to be a mother.
0: What do you wish you had known before having a child? For me I think that I wouldn't like them all the time, which sounds awful. But I absolutely love them with every cent of my being. But I would really like to just wee in peace, just for like (laughs) two seconds or have that time to myself. I didn't realise how much I would lose myself a little bit in just giving them everything all the time. I think that's whether you have one or four or five. I really didn't expect that. I thought I'd still be Jess, absolutely. And then I'd be their mum also, but actually being their mum became my whole identity and I kind of lost who I was a little
1: bit. What did you not expect or wish you'd known before you had her? It's probably quite similar. It's that you idealise how you'll be as a parent. You just think, yeah, I'll have this lovely little kid that will enhance my life in every way. But it is such a huge shift, a massive adjustment. But I do think because I had Marley right at the beginning of lockdown, And so it's almost like I didn't have to have this huge life adjustment because I'd already had one before that. People weren't in the office working. So it's like everyone was on maternity leave when I was on maternity (laughs) leave. And life was really closed down anyway. So I really experienced a loss of, you know, we didn't do any baby classes. We didn't do NCT. And I was like, this is not the parenthood that i was expecting but at the same time it was really helpful because it wasn't this massive frightening adjustment it was by degrees
0: yeah and you didn't have to have visitors so i had my third yeah. just before lockdown two days before lockdown and i was really glad that i could just sit in my pants and not have to worry about anyone coming over yeah. and having to make tea and share the baby we got that time to really just be
1: yeah. together
0: which i guess was a pro of something that wasn't so positive yeah have you become the mother you thought I thought I was going to be like mother earth, everything organic, I'm going to be so organised and I literally shoved chicken nuggets down their valves, like <laughs> running out the door every morning screaming, get your shoes on! That's like my <laughs> daily occurrence and I'm very different to how I
1: thought yeah. I would be as a mother. Yeah, I think I'm quite pleased that I find it quite instinctive because I never thought I was particularly maternal. I, I'm very nurturing, I've always had cats and I'm obsessed with my cats, which is actually how I knew that I would be able to love this surrogate baby that I didn't know because I'm like if I can adore something that's a different species like it was a member of my own family I'm going to be fine with a baby so I've really taken to it in a way that's really natural even like changing nappies never done that before (laughs) and I was like yeah this is great this is cool I can do it and it doesn't freak me out and I've had this irrational fear of snot all my <laughs> life that was you the gotta thing. get over that that was what was really bothering me it was like babies kids are always snotty and it just makes me feel quite ill yeah. normally oh my god i'm totally fine now don't even need a tissue
0: all right it's time to check in with all of you and see what you've been saying on social media think of this as part of like a radio show where listeners call in
1: So, we've got a question. Someone said, how do you decide on a surrogate? I can probably answer that one. There's a bit of a misconception around surrogacy in that the surrogate actually chooses you. So there aren't very many people in the UK who choose to do surrogacy, but there are thousands of people like me, intended parents, who are looking for a surrogate. So. Here, unless you know someone, it's very difficult to find a surrogate. So actually, if you join an agency or an organisation who try to match you with a surrogate, it will tend to be that the surrogate chooses you. So you put together a profile. It's a little bit like dating online, <laughs> but you have to really, you know, this person is really investing in your life. Yeah. And it's strange because it's kind of competitive, but you don't want to be competing against other people who need the same thing that you need. So. It's quite a tricky one, but ultimately you want to forge a really authentic relationship with someone. So it's very important that you're really honest. And just because someone does choose you, it doesn't mean that you have to then go along that route with them. You have to feel that connection because you're going to have a relationship that's just based on blind trust.
0: Yeah. It puts you in a really vulnerable place, doesn't it? Because you're putting yourself out there and I guess just hoping...
1: Yeah. something happens. Yeah, and it's uncharted territory. It's yeah. like I didn't know how to deal with the emotions of finding someone who I connected with who was gonna really take my place in this very important experience that was happening. And actually I was incredibly lucky when we found Rebecca because she did actually find us because I was writing about my experience in the Sunday Times and she read my columns and she sent me a message on Instagram Wow. so she basically said if you ever find yourself in a position where you need someone because we were doing surrogacy in the States yeah but it wasn't really going very well and then it ended up that we did need her and she was perfect and now we have this amazing friendship that will last forever and my daughter will always know who she was and we just really incredibly lucky that not only did she come to us but that we had that really natural connection amazing yeah, because you really have to trust someone to look after you in that scenario as yeah. well, as much as we desperately want to look after her. And that's something that's really common with surrogacy. You know, this person obviously is really precious to you and it's really important that they're taken care of and that they're comfortable. But the other way around, she's told me that she felt the same way about me, that she couldn't ever be an intended parent. And that really blew my mind because I think the conversations I have with my friends, a lot of the time it's, could you ever do surrogacy? Could you imagine being a surrogate? But she actually was saying, I couldn't imagine needing a surrogate. And I think it's that kind of authentic conversation that really cemented our relationship.
0: That is so beautiful. And how long was that process? Did you know instantly
1: or did it take some time? Well, she was our fifth surrogate <laughs> um, in the end. She was the only one in the UK. And I don't know, maybe because we had, we didn't have terrible experiences with the people before. It was more the whole process of surrogacy in the States and our relationships were kind of managed by a third party agent and it was a bit tricky. So I guess we had some experience of understanding what was really good in a surrogate yeah. um, and in a surrogacy relationship, but we just clicked. We were really lucky, it felt like it was meant to be. Okay, this one is definitely one for you. How can I feel confident about my body after a baby?
0: <sighs> it's a hard one because I think everyone's journey to feel more confident about themselves is completely different. One of the things that really helped me, I guess two things. One of the things was really accepting and understanding the miracle that had just happened and really appreciating how much the physical body goes through. And I think that when you really dig deep into appreciating that, it's hard not to love what's just happened and the body and what it's done for you. So I think that was probably one of the first things. The second thing, and actually I think this came a little bit later, was I wanted to be a real example for my children about how to love themselves. My first child's a girl, she's my daughter. And actually I don't think it matters if she's a girl or a boy, but for me it was really important that she saw me love myself and be confident in who I am so that she could do that for herself. And there's a really good quote I heard years ago that is, children will do as you do, not as you say. So I could tell her to be confident and love herself. But actually, if I didn't example that for her, she wouldn't really understand. And so when she was really young, even probably when she was about three, I think I started. And I, I talk about this quite a lot openly, but she stood on scales when she was about three. And she said, oh, I'm fat. And I realised she'd learnt that all from me. And so I think when you initially have a baby, you've got that tiny human. It's really about appreciating what your body's just gone through. And actually, as they grow older, it's then trying to be an example for them. Mm. And there's, there's so much to love. there's so much to love about what we do and I think it's such an incredible journey to go on but I definitely think affirming to yourself what what have I done what's my body done and appreciating it in all its glory and it will change there's nothing we can do about that but I think Reframing that change in your head from being, oh, I'm getting bigger and all these really negative ways we describe ourselves during our body changing throughout pregnancy, and reframe that to, I'm growing life, I'm doing something really beautiful. And accepting that and acknowledging that, I think, plays a huge part. And also just let yourself be, enjoy it for what it is, and the moments that are glorious, and messy, and beautiful, and chaotic and focus on that
1: and your focus changes a bit as well doesn't it at the beginning you realize that everything is about this child and you sort of become really secondary to that person yep. there's a lot of unrealistic expectations about yes. your body and what your body should look like and snapping, snapping back. back yeah so maybe a bit of advice would be to kind of stay away from those accounts don't yeah. Engage with that kind of thing on social media because it is wholly unrealistic. It's funny
0: because I post quite a lot in my underwear with it all hanging out and it all does hang low <laughs> um, and I share all of that and someone once said to me oh it's so nice to see a real body and i said well actually real bodies they're all real they're Mm -hmm. just different for different people and what we tend to do is then we focus on almost body shaming mums who do snap back or Mm -hmm. bodies don't change too physically we almost body shame them into feeling guilty about that Mm -hmm. and actually we should embrace all our bodies in what they do and how they look but my biggest tip is follow people who maybe have a similar body to yours or who aren't made
1: up and done up, you know, it's not glamorous all the time. I really represented that myself though to a lot of people because you don't just go around saying, my baby is a surrogate baby, so people would see me when she was really little and I didn't have to snap back or change my body. I didn't have pregnancy to get over and I could really see a lot of, <laughs> a lot of poor new mums like looking at me going, oh, how's she done it? <laughs> and I didn't want to go and say, well, I didn't actually carry on myself because I didn't know if they were thinking that, but. I really felt that, you know, I I didn't want to misrepresent that something is easier than it should be for most people.
0: And we compliment when people have babies. It's almost like our natural immediate reaction to compliment what they look like. You you don't even look like you've had a baby. Like it's a really negative thing if you do. And so I think I also realised changing my language when I spoke to friends when they had babies, just not commenting on what they looked like. And if I did, it was all positive because they did just do something incredible. But it also took away the focus on the body because like you said, mothers become mothers in various different mm-hmm. ways and you can't tell that by looking at someone. And so I think taking away that aspect of the conversation helped.
1: Now let's head into our next segment, Conceal and Reveal. Here we want to talk about the things which we've maybe found hard to express or show in the past and also some topics we'd love to shed light on today. So Jess, do you think motherhood is seen as a social expectation for women? Yes.
0: Yeah, I think we, I always laugh about it, but it's like two adults, two children, makeup of the world, mum stays at home, looks after the children and we have this lifestyle that I guess is <laughs> really, really outdated. And I, you know, I'm a mum of four, so clearly it was something that I wanted in life. But I've got friends who didn't but get asked all the time. Yeah. And actually even when you have one child people go, oh, when are you gonna have another one? Like there's this constant question and it's interesting because people tend to ask mothers but not fathers the same thing. And I find it really, really frustrating when people's family makeups are so different now. It's something that we've really got to get over mm-hmm. and stop expecting.
1: Yeah, I remember I got a taxi once and the guy was being really chatty and he was asking me how old I was, which I thought, that's a bit of a a stretch, but fine. And I told him I was 40 and he was like, oh, how many kids have you got? And I said, no, no, none yet. And he was like, you better get cracking. And I actually just said to him, well, I can't. Just to make him feel a little (laughs) bit (laughs) of discomfort because he was really putting that on me. But you do just get it all the time. And I also get a lot of letters of people saying, you know, feel like you have to have a child and i think that's a really nice sentiment that's a good thing to say but everyone has their own personal feelings about this and no matter if you feel a pressure from society it's about how you feel yeah about having a child and i just felt such an overwhelming urge that i was going to be a parent i didn't feel an urge that i had to have a baby but i just knew that i had to be a parent and so we would do whatever it took to get us there but i have a lot of friends who have never felt that way who don't feel that urge and they'll have a very different way of life but there's no judgment either way
0: no and i think that's the key point is not judging anyone's decision all our lives are going to be different and some couples just don't want the responsibility Mm. of having children and they're allowed to do that like we're allowed to make those choices but i think no matter what choice you make someone's going to have something to say Mm -hmm. if you choose to have no children one child a big family a small family Mm -hmm. someone somewhere wants to do it differently and I don't think there's a right or wrong way to do life you Mm -hmm. do what feels comfortable for you and you live it exactly Mm -hmm. as you please and whether that includes children or not is completely up to the people we're crowded in shame about so many things Mm -hmm. and there's actually nothing to feel shame about Mm -hmm. in any of the process or becoming a parent or how you become a parent or if you become a parent if you don't but until we open the conversation it's constantly going to continue being a taboo and -hmm. things just shouldn't be yeah absolutely so what was an unexpected joy that you found in motherhood? For me, although I think it's a bit of a weird one, hearing my children laugh uh-huh. its like a really deep, really joy. I mean, all the baby adverts have babies laughing, don't they? And it always brings everyone joy. But I think when you really see them smile and laugh and enjoy life, it melts everything else away and was a yeah. massive, unexpected joy for me. I knew it would be joyful, but not as deep.
1: Yeah, you know it's going to be a, like a lovely thing when they first laugh or yeah. first say anything but it's such a different feeling to experience it you can't describe it yeah exactly that's a much better answer than mine (laughs) I think because I didn't have the pregnancy I didn't know what to expect and one of these weird things that was really bothering me was I don't want a stranger to sleep in my bedroom (laughs) like I couldn't understand how I would be able to sleep with a strange person sleeping next to me and that sounds really cold because Now I'm talking about my daughter, but at the time she was this unknown entity. Mm. And actually the joy of her sleeping next to me was something that, I mean, literally I wasn't expecting it. It did take a little while to get used to it, but just like the sound of her breathing and just waking up and knowing that she was in there, I would do that and then I'd be really conscious of like, oh, I do actually love this and I wasn't expecting to. And now I can't wait until she gets out of her cot and comes and crawls into bed. We're like, when does that happen? (laughs) When does that happen? Oh, I don't know, and then they call
0: it your bed and they don't ever get out. Yeah. So like, it swings around abouts. But it is all those moments. I, I remember coming home from the hospital though, and um, Sophia crying and being a bit like, what's that noise? Because it's so strange that there's suddenly this yeah. person there that wasn't there before. I was like, what's that noise? And my husband's like, I think that's the baby. Like, oh yeah, we've got one of those now. And it is really odd, but like you said, checking on them a million times, because you do, don't you? You stare at them really hard yeah. to check that they're breathing and they're all okay. But those little moments and watching them grow and become little people and these beautiful individuals with personalities is a joy that I think you kind of expect, but don't.
1: Yeah. And also I get really inordinately proud of her when she does something really ordinary. (laughs) Like, like poo. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like a poo, which sometimes prouder than others, but or she'll say two words in a sentence together and it's like pure pride, like my child's a genius. <laughs> and she's just doing something normal. I really enjoy that because I know that's really obvious and everyone feels like that, but it's a really nice feeling. <laughs>
0: Now we're going to dive a little bit deeper with some DMC. Now, for those who don't know, that means deep, meaningful chat. So, Sophie, I am a working mum. Mm -hmm. And there are some challenges (laughs) that come with that. What challenges have you come across being a working mum yourself?
1: I initially found it brilliant because I was on maternity leave for a year and I did actually love it. I didn't feel like, oh, I wish I was back at work. But then when I went back to work, I felt like I'd rediscovered myself again. It felt like me time, which yeah. is such a weird thing to say about work. But I really do love the balance that it gives my life because it makes work makes being a mother more meaningful and then being a mother makes work more meaningful so that bit was brilliant now that i've really got into it i am struggling with the juggling <laughs> <laughs> Just it, a bit. Yeah. Of do you know what it is for me it's the time constraints yeah it's like trying to fit the amount of work i have to do in really set hours because before i could go in early and it would be fine and just stay until my work was finished but now i need to go in after I've dropped my daughter at nursery, so I can't ever be earlier than I need to. And I've got to go at least an hour earlier than I normally would. And then once I'm at home, I'm not working. I'm parenting. Yeah. And there's no space for anything else. So I feel like the outstanding work that I haven't finished just builds up. It's I feel like I'm adding to a pile <laughs> of work. And then the next day, it's the same thing. I just can't get through it. And I've never really experienced that before. So everything kind of feels a bit unfinished. I think that will be... Whatever. <laughs> Sorry <laughs> to you? do the very oh.
0: bad news. But you know what? I have learned to show myself the grace when a to-do list isn't finished and motherhood or not, they just never get done. And so showing myself the grace of that has made that juggle feel a bit better because I think there's a pressure that we put on ourselves to get it all done all the time. We must get all the motherhood to-do lists done. We must do dinner. We must do bedtime. We must read the book. We must do this. And then the work to-do list and actually being comfortable with there being things left on that list has helped me tremendously Mm -hmm. and like you I love the balance of work and motherhood and I love what you said about it making each of them more meaningful because I'm Jess at work and at home I'm mum and so I've got these two identities as such, and it's so nice that I can have those because I think it's really hard when you're at home and you are just consumed with being mum, mum, can I have this? Mum, can I have this? And you're just doing everything for everyone. And at work, you're you again. And yeah. have this time to yourself to make adult decisions and have adult conversations and not watch cartoons for two <laughs> yeah. minutes or listen to nursery rhymes. I think the biggest challenge for me, though, was the judgment that I didn't expect to come from being a working mum. And it's funny because you can't really win, can you? If you're a stay-at-home mum, people are going to judge you. If you work, people are going to judge you. But I didn't realise how much that would bother me Mm -hmm. and the guilt that I would feel. And I think as soon as you become a parent, you feel guilty for all sorts of reasons you never expected. Mm -hmm. But I really struggled with what are people going to think that I have four children and I work almost full time and I I work from home so I come back to work pretty soon after my youngest and he's only 14 weeks and people's reaction to that is like what like
1: they're Mm. horrified and I didn't realize how awful that would make me feel. It's very old-fashioned isn't it like you're, you're actually setting some really impressive standards and for your kids they're being brought up by someone who does really like express the importance of that balance. And it's really admirable and it's really a shame that people judge you for that. But, you know, I hear you. I get it actually a lot because I kept writing my column and I've written about dropping my daughter at nursery and how it felt exciting and sad at the same time. And I got so many comments from people saying, how could you spend all that time and money trying to have a child and then just give it to someone else to look after?
0: Do you think that's (laughs) a stigma that comes with infertility or going through a different journey to become a parent, is that something that comes with
1: it? You feel like you can't complain Mm. or you can't find it as difficult as you do find it because...
0: You should be grateful. Yeah, you should be grateful. And
1: I've spoken to a friend of mine who adopted and he says the same thing. He's like, there's more judgment, there's more expectation for everything to be wonderful. And I think particularly with adoption, it's hard for him to express. He does find it as challenging as anyone else finds being a parent he does find it as tiring he does get exhausted he does get depressed sometimes but you feel like you can't you can't complain about it because you're complaining about this scenario that you've worked so hard for and it's very much the same with ivf with surrogacy with any kind of parenting but i think there is an expectation like you say you tried really hard to have this scenario so now be grateful for it
0: and that's so hard isn't it and i've had The flip side of that where I've maybe complained about how hard it is and someone said, well, you should be grateful that it's easy for you to have children. And Mm -hmm. so, again, it's that no-win situation. Mm -hmm. Whereas, actually, why can't we just say when it's really hard? Exactly. Or talk about making it tough without being judged because I can guarantee there's not a parent alive that has not struggled (laughs) or finds it hard at
1: some point in the day it's not an easy task and you can still be wholly grateful for something whilst complaining about it it's (laughs) completely fine and you still love them it's fine but it's hard yeah and
0: people don't talk about that and I've definitely seen the difference in how people approach me about that journey and judge me versus my husband Mm -hmm. have you had the same
1: yeah because it's like societal norms isn't it Fathers tend to have paternity leave for a couple of weeks and then go back and that's fine for society. Not fine for them, I would say, because my husband struggled after two weeks. He just really wanted to be there for longer. But we found ourselves just fitting into these really old-fashioned gender roles where I do work now but i work four days not five days and i do do most of the pickups and i do come home and make the meals generally and i am kind of more responsible but because i was the primary carer while i was on maternity leave of course i was i kind of put myself in that role yeah so it's like we've grown into these traditional parenting roles but it's not like there was an expectation from my husband for me to be that way or vice versa i've just become the parenting expert because of my experience. So it does make sense that when you go back to work, you continue in that role. So I always feel like as a working mother, the primary carer, I have got a bigger workload. But I think we would argue about that till the cows come home.
0: <laughs> as always an argument in our house. Yeah. Well, our setup is completely different. So we were both working parents and then the cost of childcare just was astronomical. And we had to make a really practical decision at home, which meant my husband was a stay-at-home parent and I went to work, which... It was brilliant and frustrating all at once because I found he was celebrated a lot more mm-hmm. than I was when I was home or than any of my female friends or stay-at-home mums were and really silly things like oh my gosh he changes nappies and takes the kids to the park I'm like yes so do I where's my certificate yeah. like that's what I do and it was a real tough transition for us but one that worked for our family But it's been really interesting. It's been two and a half, nearly three years now and a completely different setup for us. But people's expectations or their reaction when they understand that is really interesting. Mm -hmm. And they celebrate him for being a stay at home parent, but then judge me for being a working mum. And it's like, well, where's the Mm -hmm. where's the balance? One has to happen. One of us has to do something. And I find that really difficult to get through and then i'm always a little bit envious of him as much as i enjoy and love my career and working life there's this part where i think oh, i'm missing out on yeah. some of the really fun bits that he gets to do which actually if i was doing i'd probably complain about <laughs> but it's he gets to do all those really lovely things and i think we don't again share that enough or talk about that enough for people to be comfortable to say actually yeah i miss that or i wish i could do that because the second you do you feel like someone's gonna say well should have made a different decision shouldn't you yeah and i don't i don't want that but i definitely think there's a different expectation for fathers versus mothers which you'd hope we would have yeah. outgrown by now
1: it's a shame that it is so unusual for it to be that way around but it is somewhere that society is improving a mm. little bit but there would also be a judgment on his side i would imagine it's it depends on the social circles or what his career is but my husband has always said he would love to stay at home with the kids but in his professional capacity he would be judged more than I would as a stay at home mother and that is again something that society imposes and I wonder if that will change over the years because I also wonder if he really would love to stay at home and be a stay at
0: home dad <laughs> because it is quite unusual it, There's a level of appreciation I think you get when you've done it Yeah, and I think that's helped my marriage to no end because when he used to get home from work I was doing both so I was doing like you working but then taking the majority of the household mm-hmm. management so to speak and so he would get home and I'd like thrust a child in his face and be like I just need five minutes because I've been at work all day and I've picked them up and I've done this and he couldn't really get that mm. and now we've swapped roles so to speak he definitely appreciates how much goes on at home throughout the day I don't think anyone really appreciates how much it work it takes to, to manage a house and the children but I also appreciate when you come in from work having a child thrust in your face when you've just got home and you've probably had a really hard day at work the balance of both of that so Mm -hmm. I think there's a level of appreciation we probably didn't have for what the other person did before that we have now it doesn't stop us arguing about who does more (laughs) I think that's (laughs) just like a permanent (laughs) argument yeah that's always going to happen but there is a level of appreciation for how much the other person's gone through maybe that day Mm. or how hard it is
1: right, we're gonna wrap things up with some bits of advice for everyone listening. I think I would like to talk about my best bit of advice for anyone preparing to have a child is to not worry about things that you can't possibly understand until you get there. Because I spent a lot of my time really anxious about how I would be able to love a baby that I didn't give birth to. And I know that this is something that a lot of people feel, whether they were pregnant themselves, or they ended up going an alternative route like me. And a friend of mine put it in such a clear way that I've never forgotten. She said, if you were to leave this place that you are right now and go out into the street and there was a little baby there just left on the pavement, your instinct would be to pick up that baby and nurture it and love it. And that is basically what you will do as a human being. And that applies to probably most people who are mothers and it definitely applied to me it was the easiest thing in the world to love my baby i don't know if it happened instinctively right at the beginning but it doesn't matter it will come and it is not to be expected so i think fundamentally don't put too much pressure on yourself that you need to be overwhelmingly in love with this child as soon as it's presented to you it will come and it will happen however it's supposed to happen for you my
0: biggest piece of advice is to trust your gut and your instinct. And whatever your journey has been to become a parent, it will come and it will kick in. And there is a lot of unsolicited advice that comes when you become a parent, whether it's from what to use, how to do it, what not to do, but trust your instinct. You know yourself and you know your child better than you think you do. That's probably been the best thing I've ever done and the
1: best parenting decision that I make all the time. Well, Jess, I think we've covered quite a lot in this conversation. We really have, and it's been so great speaking to you. And you too. And thank you all for listening to the Benefit Broadcast, the Conceal or Reveal edition. Be sure to like and subscribe and tell your friends. And you can find the video series of this podcast on Instagram at Benefit Cosmetics UK. Tune in next week for another great episode with a new set of hosts. Bye. Bye.
0: This episode of The Benefit Broadcast, the Conceal or Reveal edition, was hosted by Sophie Berezina and Jessica Jones. For more information on motherhood, fertility and other topics covered in this episode, please see the show notes for links to resources. It was produced and edited by is Queen. Original creative production and casting by The Digital Fairy. Original music by Alice Boyd.